Welcome to Cheaper Than Therapy, a podcast that journeys into conversations with the intention of demystifying, destigmatizing, and desensitizing what really gets talked about behind the closed doors of the therapy room. I'm Vanessa Bennett. And I'm Danae Selkin. And we're seekers, soul sisters, and holders of sacred space. So join us as we dive into the ways that therapy can be connecting not only to yourself, but also to those around you. Everybody. Boy, oh boy, are we excited. So, so excited. excited. <laughs> this is where you see V and I in a little bit of like giddy little girl. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You know, one of the things I think that's been so amazing for us today is like we started doing this just because you and I like to nerd out and have these mm. conversations. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think we might have said this in the very first episode, but we used to take these drives back and forth from school together and we would just talk for like two hours straight about everything, right? And just like yes. the deepest, craziest archetypes and shadows and just people would be like, what the hell are you talking about <laughs> if they were in the car with us, right? And we just said to ourselves one day, like, let's hit record and just put this content out there because we think it's really important for people. Mm. And so today we had on somebody who is doing, I think just that it's bringing this amazing work to, I don't want to say the masses, like I don't want to um, minimize the people that are, I guess, mm. part of her community, right? But it's bringing this type of work that we nerd out on to people who might not otherwise be exposed to it. Yeah, absolutely. And I feel like, you know, we get into this a little bit as we're talking to her, but that is what I have loved so much about Shalina and um, Rising Woman is that it is sort of exposing so many people to this idea of how you can stay present with your shadow, how we don't have to feel... um, that we have to run away from the things that are scary to feel. We can stay with ourselves through all of the difficult feelings. And, and her message is just resonating with so many people. And it's mm-hmm. just really exciting to witness. I think too, one of the other reasons why the message is resonating is because, and we, we speak a little bit about this, so I won't give too much away, but this idea that a healer um, is somebody who can, who can walk beside you and isn't mm-hmm. somebody who you know, has gone through this very specific type of education and training and looks a certain way and, you know, subscribes to a certain kind of model. Um, and, you know, and so I think for her, she's done the work, right. Yes. And, and her healing ability comes through the fact that she is constantly going back and getting in there and doing her own work over and mm. over again. She doesn't ever have it figured out, nor does she claim to. And that is something I really respect about her. Um, in the healing community, I've seen, I think the opposite, which is, I think to me can be a turnoff. And so I respect that so much about her that she's like, no, I'm in this, you know, and that, and that's, that's part of it. And I think that's so much of the way that you and I work as therapists, Mm -hmm. sort of this like idea of like, we are in this with you. We are on our own healing journeys. I know for me, um, getting to talk to Shalina was just so powerful because she has been such a part of, you know, um, things that have really resonated with me in the last few years in terms of like really healing, um, potent ideas in her writing that have just resonated so deeply and been just what I needed to hear at the moment I needed to hear with it. So I think to your point, this is why we are, you know, as therapists, maybe a little bit more transparent than traditionally therapists have been trained to be. Just this idea of like, we are all in this healing journey together. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You guys are going to enjoy this one. It's a good one. Mm, So excited.
We are very excited today. We have Shalana Ayana here. You guys probably know her from her work on Rising Woman. And Shalana is a visionary. I think that's what mm-hmm. we would call her. She has over 2 million, um, I don't know if you say followers, subscribers, people who, I guess, come to your page and really revel in your words. Mm-hmm. And um, so we're really excited to have you here today because you speak the language and Danae mm-hmm. and I both have been following you for a long time and um, we just appreciate you being here. Mm, thank you so much. Yeah, I think to us and to me, Shalana, you are such an example of what is the power of social media. Um, you know, mm-hmm. sometimes social media gets a bad rap for, you know, some of the things that can be a little negative in the way that people's highlight reels are sort of showcased. But your work and your writing, I feel like, are such a powerful example of how space can be held for people that might not have access to different healing modalities, might not have access to therapists and healers. When our clients, I think Vanessa and I have talked about this, will sort of um, bring in some of your work to a session and sort of say, have you heard of Rising Woman? Because I just saw this post and this is what it said. And we'll process things that are happening for them and trauma that has come up for them based on something you've written. So thank you so much for your work and your writing. I think it's just, you're making such a difference and exposing so many people to things that they might not have access to otherwise. Thank you. Yeah, it's so oh, here's my little guy. <laughs> this is my form of therapy right here, this little fluffy monster. Animal therapy is a thing. <laughs> it's, it's so healing. Yeah. I mean, it's been such a gift for me to go through the process that I've been through in my life and, you know, to be able to share this work. And I, I just feel so blessed that I'm able to reach so many people and that they're mm-hmm. resonating. And um, yeah, it's been a real journey for me just sharing what comes through and sort of just trusting that the message needs to go out. So I love that yeah. sharing what me, what comes through. I mean, that's, that even just in that statement, it shows, you know, what your purpose of writing what you write is, right? It's like, it's channeling through you versus like create, creating content almost. I'm using air quotes. Yeah. Yeah. Could yeah, you tell us a little bit about, so Danae and I, um, we went to Pacifica and I, I know, you know, cause we, Today was saying she heard you on a podcast with somebody from Pacifica the other day, actually. Um, but I'm always curious, uh, you know, you speak the language, like I said, and I'm curious to know kind of how you found your way into the world of Carl Jung and shadow work and all of the things that you speak to, you know, if you didn't, for example, go to Pacifica, which is like how we kind of discovered it. <laughs> yeah, I really took an alternative path. So I'm, mm. I'm not a therapist or um, psychologist. I began working sort of like underground almost with uh, a spiritual teacher who came from a lineage working with uh, the Gurdjieff and Osho lineage, which was informed by uh, Course in Miracles and Carl Jung uh, and Gurdjieff's work, of course. And it was sort of just this blend of Tantra and shadow work. Mm-hmm. And so I began apprenticing in what we call shadow work chambers mm-hmm. for about four and a half years. And then I began teaching uh, as a, a facilitator. And essentially what we would do is we would sit in a circle once a week for four hours with a group of about 20 other people. And we would do really intensive shadow work and tantric practices. Um, and then I began doing about 10 to 14 hours a week um, in training, doing you know facilitators training, uh, doing smaller processing groups, doing shadow work uh, and higher level tantric practices with like groups of six. And then of course, you know, my husband and I were doing that work together when right when we started dating. 
And so I really did train sort of in the more, uh, I guess you would say like more ancient, like traditional way where you find a teacher that's more of like a spiritual teacher and you just apprentice with that person. Mm -hmm. So I did that for many years. And then I also have taken trainings with Harville Hendricks. Like I did some Imago therapy training for couples. Um, I've taken some, you know, attachment trainings, love the Virginia Satir work, all the family system Mm -hmm. stuff. So I guess you could say I'm just like a huge geek. Like I am obsessed. (laughs) I'm obsessed with family systems. I mean, Mm. Satira is like my hero. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so, you know, the amount of reading I have done is, you know, equivalent to probably a PhD. It's just, I haven't Mm -hmm. chosen to go in that route. Um, So yeah, it's just like my life's mission. I love it. I'm obsessed with it. And Mm -hmm. given my own past, I really need it. Like I need the work in order to stay awake and to stay accountable. And so it's sort of been the perfect thing for me to keep me on track as well. I love that. You know, I, I've worked with a lot of people that come up through the psychology ranks, right. That go to, go to school, get the, get the, you know, MA, whatever. And so many times they've never done their own work. Yeah. And it blows my mind. The number of times I've said to somebody, what do you mean? You've never been to therapy before. You've never done any, you know, shadow work, any of this type. Um, and they're like, no, never have. And I, I remember saying to somebody one time who was an associate, um, you know, let me ask you a question. Would you go to a dentist that had bad teeth? Mm-hmm. And he looked at me like I was crazy. And I was like, that's kind of how I feel about going to somebody for this kind of work who's never actually done their own work. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, what would that be like for you? So anyway, it's sidebar, but that just, I love hearing you say that. It's like, you've done, you need this practice, these practices for yourself. Um, and through that inner healing is really how you're then able to kind of bring it out to the world. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I think integrity and, and, you know, choosing healers, whether they're you know, PhD therapists right. or, you know, people who are more on my spectrum or like mm-hmm. spiritual teachers or healers. Um, what really matters, I think, is that that person is grounded and present and they've cleared themselves mm-hmm. so that they don't project on you and mm-hmm. that they can hold space. Yeah. Shalina, I feel like so often I hear in your writing, you speak about, you know, sort of embracing the shadow and not being afraid to look at these dark spaces that so often culturally we are conditioned to sort of shy away from. And those are the things that we we don't want to accept about ourselves or look at. Or in Pacifica, we learn to sort of like, how do we make friends with the shadow? How do we invite the shadow into the room, sit down with it and sort of make friends? How did you come to a place where you were even interested in doing shadow work? Like, why did you sort of start down that path? I think... I share this in common with most of the people in the world who start to do their work, which is, you know, a rock bottom experience. I find that we're usually broken open in some way when we begin the work and usually it happens through crisis. Mm. Um, I've rarely met a person who just had a spontaneous awakening while they were walking through a Safeway. Mm -hmm. Usually it's like something has gone terribly wrong as in not according to plan. Right. So that comfort zone, that safe bubble, even if it was dysfunctional, has been popped mm-hmm. through some sort of experience of loss, usually, right? Loss of a relationship, loss of um, a partnership that meant a lot, um, loss of somebody that we thought was, you know, our safe person. And sometimes it looks like a health scare. Um, you know, a lot of people who have experienced having cancer will say that that process woke them up. And so I think that really there's alchemy in our pain. And that's really like what I love to write and speak to, mm-hmm. because I find that the people who are coming 
across my work aren't just floating through life right now. Like something has kind of slammed them against the wall. Right. And that was for me, divorce in my early twenties. That was a marriage that really never should have even happened. It wasn't even like a marriage Mm -hmm. based on love. It was like, Hey, you're from another country and like, we aren't getting along, but we want to try to make this work and you need to stay here. So let's get married in our twenties. And we're, you know, just full on in projection Mm. and our wounds with each other. And so there was a lot of betrayal that happened in that uh, breakdown and that uh, dissolution of that partnership, including all of my money being stolen, my cat disappearing, losing all of my friends, like just everything gone. And it was sort of this like stripping bear. Mm -hmm. And in that, all of a sudden I was having these flashbacks of trauma that had happened when I was really little, like being dropped off at a foster home at three years old and kicking and screaming, like watching my mom disappear. Mm -hmm. Um, And just like all of the things that had happened that I had sort of just suppressed. And so no longer was I grieving this relationship. I was literally grieving for my entire childhood. And um, I think that that happens sometimes where, you know, an incident happens, but then the pain is like a hundred times more than you would think that it would be because you're not really grieving just this incident. It's like everything else. Yes. That's amazing too. Mm -hmm. I think for people to hear you say, because I think that so many of us beat ourselves up for being in the pain. I should be over this by now. This shouldn't be this big of a deal, right? You hear that all the time, um, especially with clients. And so many times it's exactly what you said. It's not just this specific thing. Not that that's not painful, but it's not just this thing that you're grieving. It's opening up your wound to so many other things that it's giving you an opportunity, you know, should you accept it? Should you accept the challenge? to go deeper. Totally. Oh yeah. And I mean, I was, I was kind of hilarious in my grieving period because first I denied that I was feeling any pain. So I was like, I'm fine. I don't even feel anything. Uh, and then when it just slammed me, I just had no choice but to feel it. And then I began to put deadlines on like when I was going to be through the grief. And so mm-hmm. I was like, setting literal dates on my calendar. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> one day I was like, uh, this isn't working. Like I have to stop mm. setting these deadlines and just let go here. Mm. Um, and that's when the real transmission started to come through me when I really surrendered to it. And that's when I felt like I was getting a lot of teachings, like stuff just pouring in. And uh, it was really powerful for me to go through that. Um, but it also sucked. And I think that's mm. something that we have to accept that doesn't always look pretty and it's not going to feel good, but uh, it is medicine, you know, and medicine's bitter going down. Mm. Oh, I just, I love that (laughs) description of it. And I love that description of our, our rock bottom as being that, um, that space of where our healing process begins, right? Like Mm -hmm. we resist for so long, so hard, the, the thing that is going to break us open to sort of start to feel. Yeah. Well, and I, I almost, I have this image that just came up of like when, you know, clinging to the side of a mountain. It's like you're, you're holding on with your fingertips, right? And it's like, if you just, like the fear of letting, it, letting go is mm. actually what's causing the most suffering, right? But if you actually let go, um, there will some, be something there to catch you. It's just that you have to let go in order to get into it. It's the holding on, I think, that causes so much more suffering for so many people. Yeah. Some of this feels like a very human response. Like we want to sort of protect ourselves from the unknown. We want to protect ourselves from the pain. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. And I mean, I think that we can over pathologize, like as if it's supposed to be mm. easy or like if you're more healed, then you'll just like effortlessly go into the utter pain and terror of the unknown. Like, <laughs> right. of course, we're not going to do that. Of course, we're going to raise this. <laughs> no idea how painful this is. Ooh, that looks fun. I think I'll go to that. <laughs> Nobody ever, right? And so, um, it is normal. And I think that's the thing is like, we do have to be gentle with ourselves because like, there's no perfection in it. And uh, it's always going to be a little bit messy. Human nature is messy, right? Mm -hmm. It's not, it's not all wrapped up in a tiny little bow and, and we don't know what's going to be on the other side of it. So it makes sense to resist and it makes sense to be afraid because we're wired to just stay safe and your Mm -hmm. ego is wired to defend against utter humiliation and vulnerability Um, it's like risking survival you know in order to surrender so it's a real process and i found in my own journey like my spiritual teacher would be like you just need to let go and i was like let go of what like i don't get it i didn't get what letting go meant it was like such a concept for me. I was like, I don't understand. It's like, I felt like I needed something tangible to let go of because it was so far out from my emotional capacity because I was so used to controlling and holding mm-hmm. on to everything that, you know, I, my, my brain just could not compute. Uh, and so I think that like for most of us, if we have trauma and even if we don't like control is safe. Um, but it also prevents us from those other layers that want to come out of the pain. What do you feel like, or was there something, was there like a catalyst for you or a moment for you that you remember when that idea of letting go clicked? You know, I can't remember the exact moment. I think it was really gradual. And I think that maybe this is where baby steps comes in of like Mm -hmm. slowly practicing like, ooh, what would it be like if in this moment, just for this Mm -hmm. 10 second window, I don't resist this pain? Mm -hmm. What would it be like if just for a moment, I don't resist witnessing this thought? You know, those little micro moments where we can just be a witness Mm -hmm. Uh, I think that builds up resilience rather than just like opening the floodgates Mm -hmm. because, you know, opening the floodgates can be overwhelming. We have buffers for a reason, of course. Right. So like some of this is very intelligent, you know, like when we somatically shut down or wall off, like that's also a a coping mechanism so that we don't, you know, implode. So, um, yeah, taking it slow, I think for me, it was layers. And I also really felt like the elements were coming in. I often felt really connected to the water element. Like every time it would come in as like a wave of grief, like the ocean, I would just close my eyes and really let it cleanse me and like visualize waves pouring over my body. And I noticed that the more that I allowed the waves to wash over me, it it really didn't last forever. You know, like a birthing contraction lasts for 10 seconds to 60 seconds, depending on what stage you're at in your laboring process. Um, The ocean waves don't just keep slamming, they come in and out. And that's the same with grief is like, you do have breaks. So I think getting in touch with that helped. Hmm. You know, there's so much that you just said that really reminded me of the experience of getting sober. And I feel Mm -hmm. like um, a lot of times these rock bottom moments are sort of that thing that moves you into the space where you're willing to take these little steps, right? Like I I sort of have no alternative anymore. So I'm willing to take little steps in the direction of starting to feel. And I think so often 
you know, for me, learning that there was no feeling that would actually kill me was mm-hmm. like the, the biggest game changer of my life, right? It's whatever I feel, I will be okay on the other side if I can just stay in the feeling. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so, so when you went through recovery, I'm imagining that maybe you learned that, you know, you were just using substances as a way to sort of numb out whatever feeling was overwhelming. And so Mm. the process of like learning to come home to that and just be okay with the feeling is a process all in itself. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think that is so much of what we are learning to do is come back to this experience of trusting our, our natural instincts to to feel what we are we are capable and um, resilient and able to feel. Right? Mm-hmm. I remember when I was going through my grieving process, there was one distinct night where I had felt so much pain in my heart, just emotional pain that I actually thought I was going to die in my sleep. Like, I'm not Mm, kidding you. I was like, oh my gosh, I'm going to die in my sleep. There's no way I can make it through this. This is Mm. too much. Mm. Um, And, and yet here I am, I I Mm. made it through, but it really struck me that, you know, we, we can endure so much, but there, there is this deep fear that if we go into it, that we'll get stuck or that we'll get lost and that we'll never come out. And in the process, like we hurt ourselves, you know, like we do, like we use substances or we distract or we numb, we actually hurt ourselves more than we would if we just allowed ourselves to feel Mm. what asking to be felt. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and before we got on, we were, Danae and I were talking about, um, you know, how you speak so much about archetypes and, and you go into archetypal work, obviously, which is part of what we, you know, trained in and studied. And um, I think there's a lot in there too. It's like, if we, as a society, um, unfortunately, I think have lost touch with a lot of our, um, our greater wisdom, right? We've lost touch with a lot of this, uh, the stories and the myths and, you know, things that once kept us going that gave us the, the beacon that gave us the, the North star to say, you know, here's how this story can unfold. Um, and that's the purpose of myth, right? It's to give us some kind of guiding light and, um, somebody who's been through it before, you know, this is how that journey might look. And, and so I'm seeing, at least in my work, I'm seeing a shift to people like yourself being able to come back to that, like bringing back kind of ancient, ancient wisdom, if you will, or things mm-hmm. and practices that we used to use as a culture, as a society that have somehow been lost. And it feels like there's people that are bringing them back. And so you know, I appreciate that that's part of, I feel like some of your work. Thank you. Storytelling is powerful and uh, seeing ourselves in other people is powerful. Mm-hmm. It's so healing, right? That's why I used to love doing group work and community oriented therapy because mm-hmm. you see yourself in other people and you sort of bust yourself on this idea that your pain makes you completely unlovable or that, you know, nobody could possibly relate because when you really go deep in a room full of people, you realize that, you know, we've all been through something and that's actually a connection point. And so I think it's powerful that we can see ourselves in other people's stories and that some people who are ready to share can do that. Mm -hmm. I think it's a gift. And I also think that, you know, especially what I've noticed in like the mental health space and the the therapy world is that there's like this real rigidity, like this wanting to cling to these like very rigid containers and like just have so much, uh, so many rules and so many boundaries around like what's okay and what's not okay for a person's healing. And I think that we need to see that 
see the flaw in that, which is that we're not giving people permission to explore and to be fluid in their own healing and to find a path that works for them. You know, mm -hmm. some people are going to find deep healing in a spiritual path and in a spiritual practice. And other people will find deep healing in a very like structured modality. And I think that uh, if we can kind of like give people back their sovereignty in terms of what they're choosing to explore rather than uh, criticizing it, that would be mm. really beneficial for all people. Well, I think what's interesting, what we just said is it reminds me very much, it's the masculine and the feminine, right? So, so much of our psychology world that we know of, the modern psychology world is very masculine. Um, and I would say that Freud's perspective and the, and the direction that we went in was very masculine, right? But Jung, on the other hand, which they call him the mother of psychology, tended to be much more feminine. And I think that that is hmm. where I've seen people starting to shift and starting to go, no, I want to go in this direction, the more spiritual path, the more you know, feminine approach to being versus doing, hmm. um, not having these like structured, you know, more like CBT, this is how it works, this is how, you know. Um, and so, yeah, how can we marry those two? You know, how can there be some structure because the, the masculine is there for a reason, you know, we need containment for safety. Um, but how can we marry that with fluidity because you can't have one without the other, right? Yeah. Yeah. I think what's so powerful also about what you're saying about sort of the rigidity of, <laughs> of sort of the therapy community is I think that often what I have found so healing in my own journey is sort of witnessing something similar. I was talking to you a little bit, Shalina, about something you'd posted at a time where I felt like I was drowning. Um, my marriage had just ended and you posted something about, you know, those who have done their work after divorce can sort of be some of the most potent people to speak to relationships, right? And it was like exactly what I needed to hear in that moment. And I think Vanessa's partner, John, has been someone in the psychology community who has given so much, like he's really modeled that, you know, there doesn't have to be one way that this can look. And I have found that it has been so much more authentic, more organic for me as a therapist to sort of be like, there are aspects of my story that I just, I feel like I want to be upfront about and authentic in. And there's there's certainly a lot of people in um, the therapy community that sort of reject that yep. way of being and, and really have a problem with therapists sort of opening up about any part of their lives. But I think there is a lot of healing that I've experienced and other people saying, this is what I've been through and here's mm -hmm. what I learned on the other side of it. Totally. I mean, human connection is everything. And mm -hmm. I think there's definitely clients out there, you know, I'm sure who just want a therapist who's sort of like a blank slate and they don't, they don't want that. It feels really safe for them. But, you know, I've found for myself working more as a spiritual coach or some sort of guide for people that I can really sort of take the pressure off and, and kind of like reduce the tension by showing a bit of myself as well and not, you know, taking up the space, but just showing my vulnerability and showing my humanity because it's permission giving. Right. And that's kind of the space I'm here to hold. I'm like, hey, I don't have it all figured out. In fact, I'm trying to run away from my husband a couple times a week and go live in the mountains <laughs> and be alone forever because that's really what seems easier to me. So mm -hmm. I'm just over here thrashing through life with the rest of us. But I'm also learning and healing. And I think that um, if we can sort of normalize that it's not easy and perfect and that if you're a therapist or a healer or some sort of guide that, you know, you've cracked the code. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Well, we're not, it's like they, you know, people put, I think mental health professionals, um, 
not only do people put them there, but maybe they put themselves there as well. It's like we're on this pedestal, right? As if we know everything. Um, I would say the same as doctors and same as anybody who's in kind of a place of quote unquote authority, right? Um, and I think to your point, what's far more healing is to actually say, I don't know any better than you know what your journey looks like, what your healing looks like, right? Um, I'm here to maybe walk side by side with you and I'll, and I'll be there to maybe, we, we learn the metaphor, you know, to hold the flashlight. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't know where the light switch is. I don't know where the path is. You know, you have to do that yourself. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Cool. I wanted to ask you, um, you were sort of mentioning the couple's work that you and mm-hmm. your husband Ben do. And um, I heard you say something in an IGTV interview uh, a couple of weeks ago that I've been referring to so much. And so mm-hmm. I feel like I talk with couples a lot about this idea of romantic possessiveness, which is something that I learned from Esther Perel. And it's just this idea that like wanting our partner requires psychological distance. It requires um, a sense of otherness and like this erotic unknown. And that so often what couples really struggle with is just this deep space of enmeshment, right? Mm-hmm. And it was certainly something that like that feeling of enmeshment always felt like I can't sort of breathe in a couple for this reason. And I heard you talking about your partner and that, you know, I don't own my husband. He's my friend, right? So if he sort of says, you know, just like I would with any other friend, I'll say like, what are you doing this weekend? And he'll be like, oh, I'm going camping with the guys. And I'm like, oh, great. I'm writing. That's what we're doing. And it felt like something so simple to say, but like, oh, what a paradigm (laughs) shift for that to even be a space that we embody, right? Can you speak to that a little bit? (laughs) I'm like, please say more. (laughs) It's funny because I feel like that is like this really weird concept for people. When I say it, it ruffles a lot of feathers because people are like, what are you talking about? Like, we're together. Like, we're married, you know? And I'm like, yeah, I, I think, I think it's part of the problem is that we see marriage as like we go to this marriage and we commit once and then it's just the deal is sealed you know Mm. and like just now we're together and and there's nothing more to do um we are enmeshed and I own you and you own me and we have rights to each other Mm. and I see that as this sort of complacency and uh what I like to believe is that you know my partner and I have chosen to you know, walk a similar path together and we're going in the same direction, but he has his own path and I have mine and we can share that path and support each other, but it's not my job to intercept his path or for him to intercept mine. So there are places that he needs to go on his own and there are places that I need to go on my own still. And then there's places that we need to go together in order to heal. And so for me, having this uh, like sovereignty in the partnership is really important to see him as his own person and for me to be my own person, it's like this mutual respect. Mm-hmm. And it really does keep us in this zone of putting in the effort because we're friends. We're not, mm-hmm. we're not, you know, owing each other every single day. It's like mm-hmm. every single day is a new opportunity to recommit and to, to recreate, you know, if there's something that's not working, then, you know, tomorrow's a new day. What do we want to create? And I think that relationships, they do go through cycles of, you know, death and rebirth, but we, we tend not to allow that in our partnerships because we fixate on who our partner is in our minds so that we can stay safe. And then we, we put them in this little box, like, this is who my partner is. This is how they operate. 
this is what kinds of foods they like to eat. And, um, and then they're not allowed to change. And even if they do change, we don't see it. We refuse mm -hmm. to see it because we've already pegged you. We know who you are. And um, I think that's where a lot of relationships sort of become lackluster. It's like mm. there's always growth and there's always transformation happening, but sometimes we don't let that happen. So I that's like having a friend rather than, um, mm. I don't know, a soulmate, I a guess. Soulmate. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I was just having, a, it's so funny you're saying this because it's like, I was just having a, I'll say a conversation. It wasn't an argument with my partner the other day about something similar where I have a new baby. She's only like mm. less than six months old. And I, we're talking about resentment. And I said, you know, I need, what I need is for you to offer, essentially anticipate my needs. Yeah. I'm, I'm an acts of service person and I need you to anticipate my needs more with the baby. Like, yeah. do you want me to do bath time tonight? Do you want me to do bedtime tonight? You know, what can I do? Mm -hmm. Um, and he said, I do all these acts of service. You know, I get the things that you like to do. Like I get, make sure the car is always washed. I pick up food and I said, that's great. And I need you to do this stuff too. And yeah. he said, he made a comment like, so it sounds like that's changing. Like what your acts of service are right now are more based on the baby because that's the most pressing thing in your life right now. Totally. And I said, yeah, cause here's the thing. I don't give a shit if the car's washed right now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I might've a year ago. Right. But now I don't. Um, and so he struggled with it a bit, I think, because it's, it's like you're saying, it's like we're dynamic and we're always changing. And like, just because you figured out what I needed to feel loved a year ago, doesn't mean that that's how I'm feeling loved right now. And mm -hmm. if we're asking each other and we're checking in with each other, what does love sound look feel like to you today? We might learn something and you keep a dynamic and it's always mm -hmm. changing and exciting that way. Mm -hmm. Totally. And I, I think, you know, I came into this partnership with my own desire for freedom, mm -hmm. not as in freedom of like not being loyal and keeping agreements, but as in like feeling like my own person, mm -hmm. you know, with my own dreams and my own private inner world and just like having my own experience in this life and really being able to get that medicine too. And so I've always kind of operated from the space of like, I have to give what I want to receive. And what I really want is to feel free in this partnership. Mm -hmm. And I, I want him to feel free and I want him to feel respected and adored and worshipped, you know, in this tantric way. Mm -hmm. And so I think, you know, if we can practice that and, you know, everything changes, of course, when you have children, then you're sort of in a totally different space for a while of like, just trying to stay a team and get each other's needs met and get some sleep and get some food in you. And so, um, you know, partnerships evolve through and you go through phases, like you're not going to be in the same phase uh, as new parents as you will have been, you know, years prior to that. And, you know, five years from now, you'll have a completely different partnership again. And so if couples take time to actually talk about that, like we're talking about making new vows every year, mm. instead of having the same vows that you live by for, you know, 10, 20, 30 years, if you think about it, some of our vows already don't even make sense anymore. Like we felt, we did shadow vows where we actually like spoke out loud in front of our community, all of the ways that our ego will rear its head in our marriage. Mm. Like literally like some of the worst things that we'll do to each other and how we'll project on each other. Like we owned it all. It was really fun. And mm. um, but some of those things we've started to outgrow and we're like, maybe we should redo this every year so that we can stay fresh. I love that idea. I just, 
I love that so much because I feel like I never hear people speak to the fact that you will be so many different people throughout the course of a marriage if you are really present, if you are, um, if you stay with yourself. And I think so often, you know, I hear people that have had a marriage end talk about like this getting to know myself again and reclaiming myself after so many years where I'd just been completely enmeshed in something and I wasn't even there. Certainly relate to it myself. But if we are consistently doing this work of checking in and where am I in this? And also how do we want to continue to evolve together? Yeah. A lot more fun. (laughs) So is the work that you and your husband Ben do with couples, um, I know you have a conscious couples program. Is that a little bit of what you support couples in doing? Yeah. I mean, the, the couples course that we created, it's called creating conscious love and Mm. we actually just launched it uh, like a month ago. And so basically that is six weeks of intimacy practices, communication tools, and a lot of the practices that we use as our like everyday go-to relationship Mm -hmm. tools. So there are really simple things that we do. And even just in the way that we fight, like we have, we have containers that we go to when there's a disagreement and we don't move outside of them. Like we don't have a fight where we don't sit down, face each other, eye gaze, and then do a specific clearing where we take turns and like follow sentence stems. Because when we did that, it was like off the rails. Well, I was just going to say, I can imagine going haywire, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was like not good. Like we, we fought really immaturely for like the first couple of years of our relationship where we're like, mm. this sucks and we don't want to do this. Um, and it's funny because we were like in the work together full on from the day that we met, but it just, you know, brings up all your stuff being in relationship, especially the right relationship. It's like, it brings it up. So Mm. we kind of thrashed around for a while and then we really decided to just follow structures that we built for ourselves. And so this is sort of like a, a lifetime toolkit for your relationship. They're beginner practices, but they're also practices you can use for the rest of your life. And so we guide people through things like how to have a clearing, like how to communicate, um, how to process some of your projections, like what are you carrying from your family system into your partnership? Mm-hmm. And how can you actually heal that together and like work on, you know, forgiving your parents or whoever you're projecting onto your partner. And then we do things like eye gazing and massage and just like little things like understanding each other's love language, like you mentioned, mm-hmm. um, interviewing each other to understand each other's history, mm-hmm. ways to really go deep mm-hmm. and uh, to create more safety, because I think that's like ultimately what's going to keep a partnership strong is that we're safe, like safe to be ourselves, safe to express ourselves, safe to disagree, safe to have bad days, all of it. Mm -hmm. I love it. And I love that it's, it's virtual, right? Mm -hmm. So I've, I've sent a couple of my female clients there whose husbands are, you know, just really not interested in doing couples therapy. And I've been like, you know, you might want to check out this course that Rising Woman is offering because I think it's just a way that he might be willing to sort of dive in to doing mm-hmm. some of this work together. Totally. My husband uh, works with men a lot. I mean, he's been an addiction counselor for like 17 years or something. And then mm-hmm. he also runs a brotherhood out here of like 300 men. Mm-hmm. And um, he's worked with men in treatment centers for much of his life. So his passion is really doing conscious relationship work with guys sort of one-on-one and then in groups. And so 
he sort of pushed me to do this program. I was like, I'm not sure. Like, I don't know if we should do it. And he really wanted to, and we were getting so many requests. So finally we did. And, and we did set the intention, like, Hey, we could charge a thousand dollars for this, but let's charge 97 so that the couples even who are the most resistant are like, eh, whatever, let's just give it a go. You know, it's a hundred bucks. What's the big deal? Because we're mm -hmm. like, it's more important that people access these tools than anything else. And so we did build this as sort of a way to get past that barrier where one partner's like really resistant because it's, it's easier when there's no office to go into and there's nobody with their eyes on you. You know, mm -hmm. some people I think go into therapy, especially couples, they go in really afraid that the therapist is going to pick sides. And sometimes therapists do pick sides. You know, I've experienced that. So I think it's kind of safer in a way to start with something like this, where you get to process yourself and then you get to work with your partner. Um, and there's containers set so that you guys can't fall off the rails and start criticizing each other because there's no room for it when there's a set container that you have to follow a process. Mm. Take a lot of the anxiety out of it, I think, for people. Yeah. Like yeah. So I'm curious to know, Shalina, you were saying that you ran groups for a lot of years. How did you sort of make the decision to transition? Or were you always a writer or how did you sort of make the decision to start Rising Women? Where did that come from? Yeah, I've always been a writer since I was, like, since I could write. Mm. I think I started writing when I was like five, mm -hmm. always been a bookworm, 100% in English. 40% in math, like it was brutal. Um, I just always had this affinity for, you know, being in that, that space of, I think that dreamer space, you know, and um, when I was in grade three, I think I had a teacher tell me that I was going to be a famous author because I had, I wrote a book in grade three for my English assignment. <laughs> oh my God. And, um, had it laminated and everything, oh, did all the art for it. It was this <laughs> dorky little book. Mm. And um, yeah, I just always loved it. I took like a three month writing sabbatical when I was in elementary school. I refused to speak for three months and I only wrote. And uh, I just always used it as a way to process. You know, I had a lot of childhood trauma, severe abandonment, all sorts of different um, really painful experiences early on. So I think I used it as. Uh, a healthy escape. Mm -hmm. And um, so in 2015, I started really actively sharing my writing through Rising Woman. And it was just a sort of platform for me to share my writing. Um, and as I began going deeper into my own healing work and working with a spiritual teacher and then doing more trainings and teachings, um, I just went deeper and deeper and it just started to grow. And, mm -hmm. um, and now it's taken a life of its own. And so it's become this really beautiful thing. And, and now I'm writing a book, which is like, holy crap. Yeah. Can you give us a little sneak peek about the book? <laughs> Will your publishers be okay with that? Yeah. 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 It's very similar to, you know, everything we're talking about now, which is like, mm -hmm. how do we navigate that rock bottom moment in a way that is bringing us deeper into relationship with ourselves? That's what the book is all about. And mm -hmm. so it's part my journey, part prescriptive. And it's really just this way for me to connect with people who are in a similar place that I was and I want them to feel seen. I want them to feel held. And my heart just goes out to people when they're in that place of finally feeling all of their pain or having their abandonment wound triggered because I can remember just wanting to jump out of my own body. It was so intense. Mm -hmm. And so if there's anything I can do to connect with them, you know, through my writing to just help them feel 
safe and know that they're going to be okay. That's what I want. Mm. Yeah. I talk a lot with clients about this idea of the liminal space, right? It's like when you think about the, um, mm. I wrote my thesis on like the archetype of, of like trauma as initiation, yeah. right? Really. And um, how the liminal space is the most painful space, right? It's the pain when we're not who we were and we're not yet who we will be. Um, and we're in the darkness. And yet that's where all the learning is and the growing is. And so it's so important, right? And we can't, we can't bypass it. It's like, you can't get to who you will be without actually going through that tunnel. Um, so I think there's so much of what you write about that helps people to your point, like I'm here with you. I've experienced this. It's almost again, like that guide, right? Like we were saying earlier, it's like, I'm walking beside you. You've got this. Mm -hmm. um, and I think it's important for people to have somebody or a voice, I guess, in their head that, that tells them that, you know? Yeah. yeah. You have two, so I, I am curious, I actually was saying this earlier to Danae, I noticed though that you have, you kind of have followers on both the Rise and Woman platform and then your personal page. Mm -hmm. And I wonder, um, you know, is, do you have an idea that they will be different communities? Do you share different things there? I mean, what, what's the idea behind having two platforms? Um, I think it's just that I want to have a place that is just mine where, mm -hmm if I decide I want to post a bunch of photos of my dog all day, I can. It's <laughs> pretty much, that's pretty much as deep as it goes for that. <laughs> that's pretty much the best explanation ever. <laughs> I was like, I have never thought of it. That's a great question. I'm curious too. I love it. That's the answer. That's the answer actually. It's amazing. <laughs> I feel like the way that you described, you know, your hope for holding space for people is exactly what is felt. Shalina, mm -hmm. I just, I really feel like, you know, Vanessa sort of used the word channel um, speaking about you um, before. And I just, I really feel like there's something that is like moving through you and mm -hmm. you are holding space for literally millions of mm -hmm. people in, you know, moving through pain and how to do that. Um, and it's just such an incredible gift I feel that you're offering the world so thank you for that thank you thank you this, so much this might be kind of a, a a question from left field but it just came up for me how and I don't know if this is like too deep to go but I'm wondering because I've, I've asked this question of other people who use their pain and use their experience as part of that channel right and as part of that way to tap in and I wonder for you you know, we've talked about family systems and all these things. Did you get pushback or have you gotten pushback, mm. um, you know, as you started to be more authentic and vulnerable and put things out there in your writing, mm. um, you know, about trauma and about healing. And I'm always curious to know like what that was like for you within that family system, you know, or within the people who were close to you. Um, you know, do you get a lot of projections, like all mm. these things that we were talking about, I guess. Uh, do you mean like, do I get a lot of pushback from family? Or? Yeah, like the people, I guess, that I just think about when we talk about trauma and family stuff, like today and I have talked about this yeah. with our own stuff, right? It's like, how much is too much to say before you right. get the pushback from the person that you might be talking about, you know, that kind of thing. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, the interesting thing is, is that it's, I guess you could call it a, a blessing in disguise, is that I don't really have much family in terms of like blood relation, right? My mom is uh, living in a care home in another province and um, she and I have, you know, reconciled. I've done a lot of internal healing work to accept that um, I didn't get to have the experience of being mothered mm. and that I instead was a mother. And mm -hmm. so my work has really been uh, releasing myself from the confines of embodying mother, um, even when it's not serving me. And so mm. 
her and I, we have, you know, transparent conversations about my work. Um, but she chooses not to read my work and I've sort of encouraged her not to because mm -hmm. um, it's not really healthy for her to do so. She doesn't have the emotional capacity to process it. She's got severe trauma and um, mental illness as well. So, you know, I've just been really honest with her that, hey, I'm not holding anger towards you and I feel that you did the best that you could. And I'm just amazed that, you know, you're alive and that mm -hmm. I'm alive given everything that we've gone through but this is my work in the world and I need you to accept that. And this is, this is my path. And so, and then I've never met my father and the rest of my family I'm not in contact with because there's just a really deep history of um, addiction and violence and, and quite awful abuse. Um, so I just have my chosen family and those are the people who I feel totally supported by and cheered on by. And mm. my husband, like such a cheerleader he, he's adorable like every time I hear him talking to people he's like talking about how much I'm doing and how proud of it he is of me and all these things so the only you know part of resistance that I have to face is my own internal resistance and uh, I'd say that's the hardest part but you know it's tough when we're working with family because usually the person who's sharing their insights and doing the deep healing work is like the one in the family who's kind of waking up for everyone mm -hmm. and uh so that's a it's a hard it's a hard line to walk and I guess I have it easy in the sense that <laughs> not a whole lot of people watching <laughs> from my family <laughs> mm. yeah 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 it's it's so interesting I was just thinking about as you were talking Shalina how much um I feel like you have a very maternal like sort of nurturing presence and mm -hmm. you just sort of speaking to like I sort of had to mother mm -hmm. um and I wonder as you show up in the world in this way on your path is there any sort of resistance to how much you're holding space for other people given that this has sort of been a role that you've had for a lifetime oh, mm -hmm. Yeah, it's funny. I literally hear that all the time. Everybody, mm -hmm. when they say how they see me, they're like, I see you as mother. Like, you just have mm -hmm. such strong mother. Um, actually, I've done a lot of Vedic astrology in my life over the last 10 years, and it's literally in my chart. There's like a part of my moon placement where it's grandmother energy. Mm -hmm. So I had an astrologer tell me, like, for the rest of your life, you will hold the archetype of mother, grandmother, wise woman, and you can't escape it. Mm -hmm. um, so I think, you know, recently I did a a session with a spiritual healer because I really want to have that space held for me while I'm holding space. Mm -hmm. And uh, she did some work with me around um, the child mother in me, mm -hmm. which was like when I was a child and I was holding space as mother. And that's that very unintegrated caretaker that is uh, pouring herself out for other people. Right. And so she, she talked about the child mother versus the erotic mother, the erotic mother who is a woman who is mm -hmm. in her power, who is like feeding children from her breast and is just abundant and mm -hmm. erotic and sensual. Um, and so we did some work around sort of putting the child mother away and letting her rest mm -hmm. and really stepping into that really powerful mother archetype. And I think that that's been some of my deepest learning is stepping out of that caretaker role and letting other people have their journey and then knowing how to you know really nurture myself and get support because uh, i didn't get that so i never understood it it was like mm -hmm. 
what do you mean get somebody else to support me or to help me like I can do it all on my own you know Mm -hmm. which is a trauma response and that's something that I wrote about today actually is just this idea that you know once we're healed we should be able to do it on our own and I think it's almost the opposite like the Mm -hmm. more healed we are the more we will allow others to support us so that's been my my deep work Feel all that so deeply. <laughs> yeah. I too am the motherer and always have been, but I love this idea yeah. of it. To me, it almost sounds like it's like a reframe. It's mm-hmm. like you, you've evolved from one type of mother to another. And can mm-hmm. you actually um, embrace and embody some of these powerful qualities? And so that you're not fighting against that, you know, that label or that, um, that role, you're just mm-hmm. actually moving into another version of it in a way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I take that myself back to my <laughs> Yeah. I'm sure so many people listening are like, oh yeah, that yes. definitely because yeah. you know, it's pretty common. There's a lot of parentified children out there, let's be real. <laughs> mm. We have um, a few questions that we ask all of our guests. Um, So our first one is, what is your flow state? What is um, the thing that you could be doing for an entire day? Lose yourself in it. You never get tired of it. Um, Just time passes so quickly when you're doing this thing. Reading and writing. Mm. Cuddling my dog. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. The simplest answers are like the most fulfilling. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So the next one is what breaks your heart? Mm. Oh my gosh. So many things, you guys. (laughs) Every every time I see somebody getting hurt, that breaks my heart. Um, But I think what breaks my heart is yeah seeing people who are disconnected from from love Mm -hmm. and 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 the impact that that has on the world Mm -hmm. yeah ripple down yeah trickle down down? yeah (laughs) yeah Yeah. and what is your favorite food it's a real deep one (laughs) hundred percent spaghetti All right. Okay, right. I can the rest of my life. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. You and my my son have something in common. He's like spaghetti <laughs> boy. It's like the one thing I can always get him to ingest. Yeah. <laughs> So appreciative. Thank yeah, you so much. I just, I, you know, I know that I sort of wrote you about this and I am so grateful that you took the time to come and be with us, but I just, I can't thank you enough for the work that you do in the mm-hmm. world. I know that I am not alone in the space that you have mm-hmm. held for me and my journey, mm-hmm. but you are doing that for so many people and you are just such a gift. Shana. So thank mm-hmm. you for who you are and what you mm-hmm. do. Thank you so much. And yeah, I was so excited to come on because actually, I think I watched you on an IG live recently and I was like, oh, who is that woman? Her wonderful. <laughs> so it's just, it's a real honor. And um, just to know that I've had some small part in your journey is such a gift. And yeah, this was a really fun conversation. I feel like we could have talked for hours. I know. So, for so many me. avenues we could go. <laughs> yeah. Oh, you have no idea. So grateful for you. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Cheaper Than Therapy. If you enjoyed today's episode, be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And if you want to connect with us, you can find us on Instagram at Vanessa S. Bennett and at Danae Logan Selkin.